When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. As always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Kendrick Lamar lands his fourth number one album on the Billboard 200 chart with Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, which debuts atop the list with the year's biggest week for any album. Plus... Four of the album's songs debut in the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Also on the show, we're talking about Harry Styles' brand new album, Harry's House, which came out last Friday. And because of the positive reception for the album, it got us thinking about some early favorites in the Grammy Album of the Year category. Actually, one of the ones that Keith just mentioned, Kendrick Lamar, also got us thinking about that. So stick around to hear our discussion about those Album of the Year early frontrunners. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Well, let's do the chart chat. First up, Kendrick Lamar is king of the charts this week as his first studio album in nearly five years. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It's his fourth number one and fourth consecutive album to debut at number one. The new album starts with the year's largest week for any album, 295,500 equivalent album units earned in the U.S. in the week ending May 19th, according to Luminate. Didn't you say the same thing last week about last week's number one album, Keith? I did, and I said the same (laughs) thing about the album from the week before that was number one. A lot of big new albums, as we warned you uh, in a few shows ago. Yeah, we could be talking about this very same topic in a week from now. (laughs) Um, All right, so, um, yeah, a week ago, Bad Bunny did it. A week before that, Future did it. We assume that Harry Styles might do it next week. More on that in just a little bit. Uh, But back to Kendrick, Uh, his new album is divided into two parts, each with nine songs. The first half is named Big Steppers, and the second half is named Mr. Morale. All 18 of the songs debut on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, with four of them in the top 10, 
And his highest charting song is the track N95, which opens at number three. By the way, Jack Harlow's first class is steady at number one again this week. Notably, Kendrick Lamar's album was not preceded by any pre-release singles, though N95 did see its official music video released shortly after the album's debut. Point to note, Kendrick did release a song and video shortly before the album came out, but that song is not on the album. And the song, of course, is called The Heart Part 5, which arrived on May 8th, along with an eye-catching music video where Kendrick morphed into numerous people via a sort of deep fake visual effect thing. Yeah, there was some conversation at the time about whether it would be on the album or not. Um, and it wasn't. It was a cool, like, uh, you know, setup, though, to get people excited about the album. That's interesting, though, to, like, have, I'm going to drop a song and a video and my album's about to come out, but this won't be on it. And as we all know, that would have only goosed the numbers right. for this week because it already had uh, it the momentum. Hit I mean, but clearly, my man isn't concerned with such things. It's, that is not his mo. No, he is. He is. He is not. He he is the kind of artist where there are a set specific number of songs that speak to his vision for that album for the project for the yeah. project and if it's not part of it then it's not part of it yep you know gotta, gotta love that mm-hmm. um all right well mr morale and the big steppers was announced on april 18th and released on may 13th and as noted earlier it is kendrick's first album in just over five years his last project was damn released in april of 2017 Dam spent four weeks atop the Billboard 200, his longest run at number one, and was 2017's year-end number one album on the chart. And, oh, by the way, it was awarded the 2018 Pulitzer Prize in music. He was the first rapper to ever win a Pulitzer Prize. I wonder what other Pulitzer Prize winners for the music category have been like. Have they been like, you know, the orchestral recordings of, you know, so-and-so from 1940? I wonder if it's been things like that and not really contemporary music. Well, I don't know, so I'm looking. Oh, well. Because no. now I'm curious, too. We'll, <laughs> we'll let you do that because the next thing we're talking about is completely unrelated to Kendrick. I'm just going to go to the first thing that I recognize, which so far is nothing. Everything is opera and classical. We're still going. We're still moving. We're still on orchestra. Wow. Symphony Concerto. Spring Quartet number two. I'm in the I'm in the mid nineties now, guys. Uh wow. So the answer to your question is like it's not only like a wild occurrence for a rapper, it's a wild occurrence for top forty music, mainstream music pop music of all stripes still going i'm in the 50s now so maybe he was the first like contemporary (laughs) music artist that is crazy wow okay good to know all right all right well next up staying with the billboard 200 albums chart three more albums debut in the top 10 including florence and the machines dance fever and the black keys dropout boogie so you might be wondering How common is it to see a top 10 album on the Billboard 200 with the word dance or boogie in its title? Or maybe it's just me. No, I I feel like it's got to be fairly common. Let's find out. Keith knows. Yeah, luckily I did the research, uh, and this will be me falling into a terrible 
rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Well, the word dance is actually fairly common in titles among top 10 charting albums on the Billboard 200. Many an album with dance in its title have reached the top 10. Before this week, uh, the last dance album in the top 10 was in 2014, which was actually kind of a while ago, when country singer Lee Bryce debuted and peaked at number five with I Don't Dance. Oh, so he's not dancing. He's not dancing, <laughs> but, you know, it's still at the word dance in there. Uh, in fact, there have actually been five number one dance albums, meaning albums with the word dance in them. So title. happy this is not a quiz, Katie. Yeah, well, I, I basically like sort of like all the things I would have saved for uh, quiz Katie ended up going in here. So maybe I should have done that. <sighs> but, all right. So here are the dance number ones, starting with the Flash Dance soundtrack in 1983. And we're including it here on a technicality because Flash Dance is one word. Dance is part of that word, but also Flash Dance isn't really a word. Yeah, and it's not like dancing or dancer. It's a dance. It's the word dance with flash. Right. It's not like <laughs> redancery. Yeah. <laughs> like some made up word that happens to have the five letters that right. make dance in it. So uh, there's Flash Dance in 1983. And then we have Fleetwood Mac's The Dance in 1997. Luther Vandross with Dance with My Father in 2003. Madonna with Confessions on a Dance Floor, two words, in 2005. And Selena Gomez's Stars Dance in 2013. Mm -hmm. However, the word boogie is far more rare among album titles that have reached the top 10 on the Billboard 200. How many albums have boogied into the top 10 on the Billboard 200? Not that many. Hmm. Uh, so we have this week, The Black Keys with Dropout Boogie. Then we have Vol Beats, Seal the Deal and Let's Boogie which hit number four in June of 2016. Before that, there was Corrupt, the rapper Corrupt, with Space Boogie, colon, Smoke Odyssey, which hit number 10 in August of 2001. And before that, the Brian Setzer Orchestra with The Dirty Boogie, which hit number nine in October of 1998. Small caveat here, our research capabilities for this particular kind of research enables us to search back to August of 1963 on this chart. So there might be another top 10 charting album before that with Boogie in its title, but it seems kind of unlikely. Feels like a very 70s and beyond word to me, but maybe you learned something about that. It's funny that you actually say that, and Katie had not even fast-forwarded to the no. next part of the script. So you might be thinking, but wait. What about all those boogie songs that we all know were hits back in the 1970s? You're not wrong. There were lots of boogie hit songs, just not albums. Yeah. Um, there have actually been three number ones on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart with boogie in their title. And all were in the 1970s. There was The Silvers with Boogie Fever. There was A Taste of Honey with Boogie Oogie Oogie. And Casey and the Sunshine Band with I'm Your Boogeyman. Yep. Um, honorable mention to these number two peaking boogie hits. I definitely would have guessed one of these was a number one. Again, all from the 1970s. Mm -hmm. There was Eddie Kendricks with Boogie Down, Heat Wave with Boogie Nights, mm -hmm. and the Silver Convention with Get Up and Boogie. That's right. 
<laughs> Maybe uh, the Black Keys will lead a, a boogie renaissance. <laughs> a, 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 a boogie rebound. Yes. A, a boogie comeback. <laughs> I was surprised that um, a song that I thought would have charted higher that was a boogie song in the 70s, Boogie Wonderland by mm. Earth, Wind & Fire mm-hmm. and The Emotions, I believe, mm-hmm. I think only hit number six. Oh. But to oh. me, that song seems like it's endured, endured a lot longer. <laughs> I immediately thought of Boogie Nights, but was I thinking of Boogie Nights because of the song or the movie? You right. know, and then obviously Boogie Oogie Oogie. Also, <laughs> I also thought of that. <laughs> I, I I I was researching the word boogie for so long earlier that now just looking at the it's word such a boogie, weird word. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, by the way, like to anyone wondering how you spell boogie, it's B O O G I E. But the longer you stare at the word, almost like any other word, it now begins to not even look like it makes any sense. Um, boogie. Boogie. Um, it's also it's just like it's like a word that I don't even know if anyone really uses it in common. No, I'm, slang. I'm it's black keys have always been sort of a throwback. Yeah. So it's like they're continuing that trend of throwing back to a word that no one uses anymore. But like do teenagers even know what that word even means? Oh, I'm sure my children don't. Like short of like the boogeyman. Like, well, even, yeah, that that's even, a totally different like right. definition. Well, apparently, Casey and the Sunshine Band was. Well, they were doing a play on words, right? You know, I'm, I'm like, they, and and by the way, Boogeyman is spelled B O single O G E Y M A N. Bo, it looks like Bogeyman. Oh right, yeah. Oh, you're right, but yeah. Casey spelled it. Oh right, got because it. it's a play on it's words. It's a play on words, and it's a dance. He's your Boogeyman, not to be confused with your Boogeyman. <laughs> what would be the equivalent to Boogie today, like in terms of a dancing phrase? Oh. I mean, twerk. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although Boogie was not a specific dance, but was yeah, it? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Boogie was just more of the idea of like, we're going to like get down on the but dance But as far floor. as slang dance words that didn't exist and now do, that's my best example. Right. I don't know. Also, Boogie like had its origins from like well before the 70s because in fun fact, in the 70s, Bette Midler took her cover of Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy mm-hmm. to the top ten, and that song was decades old at mm-hmm. that point. So it's a it's it's a it's a term that but has been that around for a long time. Did that mean dance in that context? Boogie Woogie Bugle Man. Would you think that was dancing? I wonder. I don't know. I would imagine that. Yeah, I mean, I would. Im- I'm thinking yes. <laughs> a Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. Bugle Boy. I say. Did I say man? You said <laughs> I was man. Going boogie Man you're again. Just, you're just aging him up a little bit. <laughs> I'm gonna say yes. Okay. Because like you know, bo- you know, boogieing back in like the 40s, like you know, you're doing the Charleston or something. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't We've know. We've fallen it came into from. a hole and we can't get out. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Let's move on. But so this was fun. Now an entomology podcast. <laughs> but you know who does boogie a lot? Harry Styles. Oh, good transition. And Harry Styles released his new album, Harry's House, last Friday. Uh, it got a very positive reaction, um, including from our own Jason Lipschitz, who reviewed it overnight, Thursday and Friday. Um, it is a very fun album. It is. It feels like the loosest album that Harry's ever put out. Uh, I totally love it. I, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm a fan. Um, I especially love the album opener called "Music for a Sushi Restaurant," which um, <laughs> sounds like a Peter Gabriel song, which is high praise because Peter Gab- Gabriel's awesome. Ooh, as an aside, go Google, go to YouTube and search for Harry Styles covering "Sledgehammer" by Peter Gabriel on the Howard Stern Show. It is brilliant. See, I wondered if I was drawing that line because of that cover, but, I mean, he's clearly a fan and is, you know, referencing that vibe. I wonder, uh, 
we should look in the liner notes. I wonder where Harry recorded this album at. I wonder he he may have recorded it at Peter Gabriel's studios. Because well, he talked about in that Howard Stern's a Stern appearance how he plays Sledgehammer in every like new studio they go into to like test out the acoustics because it's oh. such a killer song for like just lots of little different sonic elements. Right. Um, and that's actually what this new song has as well: saxophone, drums. That the first time I heard it was in my car, and the drums were coming. Coming out of each side of the speakers. Oh, I love stuff like so that. So you need it, it. It would enhance the uh, listening of this album if you had great headphones or an amazing sound system. Stereo system yeah. for sure. Um, so Keith, how is it looking for Harry on the charts? Obviously, this is a popular, buzzy album. Do we think this is going to be? The next could one it be to have, one? yeah. Well, is it not so much could it be number one, but is it going to be the next one you're declaring has the biggest week of the year? You know, four weeks in a row. Even even, even though I'm not really in the business of doing forecasts. I anymore, know, I know. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say yeah to the number one and to the biggest week. Yeah. Dang. I think, I think, um, yeah. I think, even though I don't have a number to to share based upon everything that I'm seeing, it seems like it's probably a lock to have the biggest week of the year and how cra- what a month i mean like you knew when we talked about like what a crazy lineup of new albums there were but like what a month like future had oh it's a blockbuster debut and then bad bunny had a blockbuster debut and then kendrick had a blockbuster debut and now harry yeah it's just and it's and it's i don't i i don't know if this is going to be kind of the end of this run mm. I mean, it will be in the short term because there is no album that comes out this Friday. Yeah, because Post Malone is June, right? Yeah. Okay. So is BTS. And BTS, duh. Um, so we have a we have a breather of a week where there isn't like some monster, ostensibly some monster thing that's coming. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we uh, there are a series of albums that are coming that could do incredibly large numbers, relatively speaking, like Post Malone and BTS, Carrie Underwood, uh, for example. And then you know, it doesn't mean that there won't be some thing that drops out of the sky yeah. like for all we know like donda 2 could go on a wide release this friday the taylor swift re-records that are looming potentially you, you looming. you think that we would have heard about that considering she has so much physical product to that's get to the true and so far we don't know but she, there seem to be hints in the air around right. those so but yeah. um well if we're going to continue prognosticating the warm reception to harry's album both commercially and critically uh it actually has an 82 out of 100 on metacritic as of this day, Monday, that we're recording, we're wondering, is Harry's House also a lock for a Grammy nomination for Album of the Year, which would be Harry's first Album of the Year nomination? Either he solo is, or with One Direction. He is a Grammy winner for Watermelon Sugar for in a pop category, but not uh, Album of the Year. Um, we are eight months into the eligibility period for the 2023 Grammy Awards, <laughs> which, so we've got four months remaining. Yeah, but it. it <laughs> but there's like, a lot that's already out. There's a lot that's already out. And uh, so we also wanted to look at some other albums that might be poised for likely album of the year nominations based on their critical and commercial uh, reception so far. Okay, so the eligibility period began on October 1st, 2021. And it will end at the end of September. I checked with Paul Grine this morning. It's official. So 12 months this year. Because we've had some years of like 13. 13. We had one of 11 because of just kind of weirdness with the schedule of um, when the awards fell. So it is a solid 12-month period. So if Harry's House seems like a safe bet for album of the year, who else might fill out the category? 
And also, how many nominees will there be this year? We're going to assume, <laughs> we're going to assume there will be 10 nominees following last year's expansion of the category from eight to 10 nominations. Yeah, it, it would seems, be weird if they went back. Right. It seems safe to assume that they'll, they'll, they'll do that at least once more. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, 15 nominees. Right. Everyone, everyone gets a prize. Okay, so Keith, you hit, can you hit me with something that seems like a pretty likely album of the year lock other than, than Harry? Oh, I don't know. Kendrick Lamar's oh, new album, yeah. Mr. Oh, Morale and the Big Steppers. <laughs> that, to me, that seems like a shoe-in, slam dunk, yeah. obvious nomination. Yeah, Paul actually wrote a whole article about why it's a slam dunk. And I mean, from all uh, uh, reports, it is you know as beloved as the previous Album of the Year nominations he's gotten. So, yes. Katie, what else? Well, since we're mentioning things we already mentioned in the show, why don't we talk about Bad Bunny? Okay. Because uh, Un Verano Sin T, which came out two weeks ago, a surprise drop. This would be his first nomination in the category. It would be. Yeah, he did not get nominated for his um, uh, El Tour del Mundo. Is that what it was called? The mo- that was the big album that yep. uh, also was number one on the Billboard 200. Right. He did not get a nomination for that. Um, I remember with Rosalia, we were looking toward the possibility of an all-Spanish language album being in that album of the year category, and she did not make it but, would but this luckily, be the Ros- first th- this well i don't know if it would be the first all spanish, all spanish in the album of the year I, we looked it up and i kind of i think that we it did determine be. that it was but you're saying rosalia also could be in this category rosalia also has a new album out how do how do we say the name of it motomami motomami we in theory you know both both albums have been well regarded both are popular albums both are by artists that have kind of the that walk and talk like Grammy faves, mm-hmm. people that the Grammys might endorse. And I think that we are now at a time um, in the album of the year category, especially if there's 10 slots where you could easily see one or two all Spanish language albums, especially by these artists among the contenders. Totally. I don't know how we've gotten this far without saying Adele. You, the obvious, the did Adele. Did you know that Adele's 30 came out in the last eight months? Were you aware of that? Did you, because know, did you know that Adele's last two albums, uh, 25 and 21, were both nominated for Album of the Year, and they both won Album of the Year? Yes, and also, um, I think Easy On Me came out in October, which was after the eligibility period, and so she sometimes she has those things where like the song has a moment at the Grammys one year, the album has a moment at the Grammys the next year. This is going to be... All the Adele is going to be eligible at this upcoming Grammys. Well, actually, to be fair, both 21 and its first single, Rolling in the Deep, were both eligible in the same initial year. And the same thing happened with 25 and Easy on Me. Both were eligible initially in their first year. Oh, but then it was set fire to the rain, that live version. What you're thinking of Mm -hmm. is when 21 won Album of the Year and Rolling in the Deep won Record of the Year, as well as other awards, the following year, Mm -hmm. Set Fire to the Rain was submitted. Sapphire to the Rain is from 21, and it was submitted to the record for submission the following year as a live recording, mm-hmm. and that won for Best Pop Solo Performance. And then she also probably had a Skyfall nomination somewhere mixed in there as well, right? Yes. <laughs> so so that's what I'm thinking of. Right. She dominates all years. But uh, Dell's 30 is going to be, uh, I feel like, very safe saying that will be in there. It feels like... Eight, ten, doesn't matter. It's going to be there. So we are up to Harry, Kendrick, Bad Bunny, Rosalia, possibly Adele. So we got five. Mm -hmm. I think Ed Sheeran's Equals Mm -hmm. is a 
strong possibility, especially mm-hmm. considering that it feels like this album is just continuing to grow in terms of how he's been able to take the songs from the album and find new ways to get them embraced by people that you wouldn't expect um, through the remixes and sort mm. of live performances that he's done that has extended the life of this album. And I feel like this album may still be with us in a very sort of present way by the time people are starting to actually start voting and nominating for yeah. things in a few months. Yeah. Um, and also it's a really popular album. It was number one. It's had hit singles. And also... Can I put you on the spot about what he... if his his previous albums have been nominated for well, album of the year? Um, no, you can't. <laughs> Why don't I look? Um, I do recall that there was, I remember there was a little bit of controversy that year where he was nominated for what song of the year, but not in anything else in the big four. And it seemed like he was da- collateral damage. He definitely has been from the special accidentally sauce committee that is now no sort of punished around. as representing the, you know, the white male contingent of, right. of but now, pop music. But now it's just a sheer popular vote. Oh, now here's, I didn't realize Bad Habits was out last year. So that got nominated for Song of the Year last year from the album Equals. Mm. I didn't didn't remember that. Um, well, okay. that, or, that already indicates that there's a fair amount of general acceptance of it. Mr. That's Ed true. In, in the big four categories. That's true. All right. I'm just scooting back to see if we get to an album of the year. Uh, well, uh he was nominated for The Weeknd's Beauty Behind the Madness. That doesn't count. I mean, it counts. But <laughs> I know, but it, we're still going. I'm thinking that Divide was uh-huh, not Here we are. Multiply. Album of the Year, 57th Annual Grammys. Uh, nominated. Not not a winner, but so that, nominated. So Divide was the one that was left out. And then, once again, nominated for Taylor Swift's Red. Not helpful. And that's the only one. So he's this would be his second nomination for I think, Equals. I think, I think he's probably a very strong possibility. Well, since I just said his name, should we say The Weeknd's Dawn FM? Which I, uh, it came out at the top of the year in January, Mm -hmm. uh, usually a dead time for new releases from superstar artists. And I checked its Metacritic number and it's really high. Mm. Like it was really a a well-regarded, warmly embraced album. Um, I, as a personal aside, I actually enjoyed the album. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't sell as well as uh, After Hours and... No, I mean, After Hours yeah. came in, came out of the gate with Blinding Lights yeah. and other established hits. Uh, what was the song that came out before After Hours, that Heartless? Yeah. Heartless had already hit number one before that. This, Don FM, just kind of dropped out of the sky, mm-hmm. so it's a different kind of setup in that if if things go correctly, the album will continue to churn out hits for the next few months, um, uh, so we sh- we shall see. But I also, it's the weekend, right? So which it's pretty loaded there. He he, you know, yes, with his history with the Recording Academy, yeah, because After Hours was, was not denied um, with everything. Was completely snubbed for absolutely anything. But that was also when they had the sort of special committees in the Big Four categories. The question is whether he might try to like get his he might just album removed out. altogether. He actually. Won a Grammy this past, this year uh, with Kanye West on um, is it Hurricane? He won right. for uh, in one of the rap categories with Kanye. But the weekend also declined, I think, to submit any of his material last year. Yeah. So he 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 took Save Your Tears mm-hmm. out of the running, mm-hmm. which could have been easily a possible contender for Record of the Year. Yep. So, so he may do the same thing with Don FM. Yes. Um, I think I went last, but I'm going to say the next one too. Okay. Silk Sonic. 
who if, dominated the Grammys this year. If if Silk Sonic's an Evening with Silk Sonic album is not nominated for album of the year, I, I we, Ooh, say something. Uh, say something. You know. It, there. Okay. I will just say, <laughs> say something. We can hold you to. I will just say there is no way Silk Sonic will not be nominated for album of the year. I agree. Full stop. I I described Silk Sonic's. Um, Silk Sonic's uh, popularity with the Recording Academy earlier in an email to Paul I and to to uh, Katie, I described them as kind of uh, Stevie Wonder meets Lionel Richie meets Adele, mm-hmm. where they are sort of universally enjoyed mm-hmm. by what appears to be a very substantial number of people within the Recording Academy, young and old. People appreciate their musicality, their, um, their tipping of the hat and acknowledging of previous music from previous decades, but also spinning it forward. They love the fact that they are showmen. They mm-hmm. love the fact that they can play instruments. They love their songwriting craft. And you already had a preview and basically a... Uh, uh, an example of how the music, w- what the music is like mm-hmm. uh, from this previous Grammy show where they yep. performed and won a bunch of awards. So there's no way it will not be nominated. Yeah. No, it's, there's literally no way. <laughs> there's literally no way, which means that also means that, well, I won't get there. Um, you I'm, had a couple more here. A couple um, more. A couple more. Yeah. Um, I think Brandy Carlisle with mm. In These Silent mm-hmm. Days, which came out on October 1st, the very first day of the eligibility period, considering that Brandy has been um, a Grammy fave mm-hmm. for a while, I think she is a solid contender, even if by the time they start actually voting, it will be a very old album. It's Brandy Carlisle, yeah. mm-hmm. who I you all you have to do is see her perform once. And you're like, oh yeah, I love. She's an you. artist. She's an artist, and my God, that voice. And, well, you know, and if you look at the big four nominations last year, it's like even songs that she wasn't on, she was nominated for. She like wrote for Alicia Keys. She wrote. She had what two? Did, was she the was she the person that had two nominations in the Song of the Year category? Yes, yes. And so it's like even if she doesn't have an album out, she's all up in the Grammy nominations. And, and that kind of tells you everything you have to know. It's like especially now when the the top four categories are all kind of pure or all just pure popular vote if she still made it in there with two nominations yeah. in song of the year imagine what will happen when your whole album is available to be voted on yes and the last one that we had up in our little top section here i don't think these are shoe wins but just like really strong chances strong possibilities is uh summer walker still over it which was a super well-received r&b album i think summer walker has been embraced with open arms both commercially and critically, and definitely a fan favorite. So this feels like a win-win for the Recording Academy, sort of ordaining Summer Walker as, like, the next big R&B star. Right. And also, like, it, she's already beloved, um, you know, has a big fan base as well. Yeah. That's just, and that's just the, uh, how many, we came up with, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, Is that ten? seven, eight, nine, ten. We came up oh, with ten. So we got, why do we need to even go on? We got you covered, Recording Academy. <laughs> Nothing else can come out this year. Um, and, and, and here are just a few names that we didn't mention that all released albums since October 1st that could, could be in the conversation. There's new albums from Coldplay. Phineas, don't forget Phineas, mm-hmm. who was nominated for a new artist and has already won apparently like 52 Grammys for his work with Billie Eilish. Yep. Um, Elton John, ABBA, ABBA with their first album in nearly 40 years, Voyage, 
keep in mind that the first single from this album, um, I Still Have Faith in You, was nominated for Record of the Year last mm-hmm. year. Um, Kanye West, Donda 2, if that is technically eligible, because he put it out on a stem player, but maybe it's coming out in a wide release, I don't know. I think as long as the Recording Academy can listen to it sure. and it got released, sure. Sure, stem player is wide <laughs> release. Um, there's new albums from Marin Morris, Thomas Rhett, Jack White, Bonnie Raitt, Miranda Lambert, Arcade Fire, and Alicia Keys. And don't forget, we've got many albums on the way, including any number of surprise releases that could drop out of the sky, plus those that we know about, like new efforts from Post Malone, Carrie Underwood, another Jack White album, and oh, hey, Bruno boy who's already won at least one Grammy I believe yeah he did um and during the pandemic year because I remember his uh acceptance um, speech on zoom from yes it was incredible whole family was there it was awesome was he actually in Africa at the time oh I don't know where he was was. but he was with his family and honestly it's it made a case for scrapping the premiere ceremony and doing it all remotely because it was so fun to see that um, and actually, one last mention, since she was in our list, um, Taylor Swift's read uh, Taylor's version, which has been the biggest selling of the Taylor's version of the two that have come out so far, I believe, had a number one song off of it, um, All Too Well, Taylor's version, um, from the vault. <laughs> It's going to keep going. She put out a statement last year saying, please do not consider uh, uh, Fearless, Fearless as a contender because she had Evermore like as a, a new release. So it was like, don't consider Fearless. Is that a blanket statement? Don't consider any of the Taylor's versions? Because obviously these are all albums that did really well the first time around at the Grammys. And Evermore ended up getting nominated for album. It did. It did end up getting nominated. <laughs> so I wonder, was that just her saying, "Oh, I don't want my I don't want my re-recordings to take up space for other new recordings," or was it only about my personal focus on Evermore? I'm pretty sure she had to have thought through, you know, had, the repercussions of that they were happened. all coming. So I think it, the Recording Academy probably will treat it like a blanket statement. But is is the t- Katie as a as a more knowledgeable Taylor Swift? Um, listener, is the all too well 10 minute Taylor's version substantially different from the original all too well? It has a whole new verse and all new lyrics. Um, I, I wonder would that, would that be new enough for the Recording Academy to consider? A it's new a good recording? question. I don't know if they have sort of a percentage breakdown of newness, um, but I do think that what they should consider. I mean, it's, a whole, it's a wholly new recording. I do think they should consider the From the Vault songs because those are truly new, like things that have never been released. Um, those are songs that some of them I think are are great songs that could have been singles back in the day. And so I feel like they should maybe consider those individual songs, if not the full albums. You won't remember this, and I'm putting you on the spot. Offhand, do you remember how much, when they, with the full album, the full Taylor Swift read Taylor's version, how much of it was re-recorded old material that had already been released and how much of it was uh, previously unreleased music that she recorded for the first time because it seemed like there was more on Red than there was on Fearless or I could be completely... Well, I think you're right, but we have to take into account, you know, deluxe editions as well, which is not what the Grammys considered, for instance, when they nominated Red for Album of the Year, you know, like that they were just considering the base album, but some of the re-recording is re-recording songs that were released commercially as deluxe editions, Right. right? Um, but if I'm looking at the track list, which I pulled up very quickly, just to make sure I say this right, because I remember the number was wild. 30 songs. 30. 
30 songs. And um, I think, let's see here. It's like at what, where in the track list does the album introduce sort of completely new things? Yeah, this is what I'm trying to figure out. Mm, I don't want to like say because I'm going to mess it up. But um, unless it says for me. I remember I did this too when I wrote about the album when it debuted. Okay. Okay, so it says the 30-track Red Taylor's version includes the re-recorded versions of the 20 songs on Red. Okay. And the 2012 charity single Ronin. So 21. Yeah, I think that's fa- fair to say. So there's nine. Nine songs that, th- that are kind of wholly new. I think they're including the 10-minute long All Too Well as one right. of the new songs, as too. You so you should. can almost go to 22 and say eight songs that were, you know what I mean? Yeah. Eight new songs. And again, there's songs like Better Man, which Taylor wrote and and Little Big Town recorded. Right. So then it's her recording or um, Babe that she did for it's, Sugarland. It's a fun it's a fun debate to have where it's like, does is is this what are you viewing? What is what is how do you judge an album like this where it is completely a completely new recording where a third of the album is music we've never heard for the most in any mm-hmm. sort of venue before by this artist mm-hmm. is this equatable to oh we're going to submit a live album mm-hmm. for album of the year because mm-hmm. one could is it yeah like like Adele putting out a live Sapphire, Sapphire to, to the, the rain. rain or you know I mean you know because what, that is a a just a live recording of a song that already was eligible for a Grammy Peter Frampton put out a very successful live album in the 70s called Frampton Comes Alive that might have been nominated for album of the year I yeah. don't know so you know how like how do you treat this and 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 i think taylor is probably also weighing the odds like does that does this look good if you kind of suck up some of the air which is probably why know? she kind of made the judgment call to say just right. step out altogether because i think there is a world where especially with red all too well uh 10 minute version that could have get nominated. Yeah, yeah it could have been in there and then it's like one thing to re-record, and it's another thing to get like re-awarded for the same album you were awarded before. It's like double jeopardy. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's it's funny. There was uh, we completely fall into a rabbit hole, um, but there was an example that was there was sort of a quasi example of that um, in 1995 when Michael Jackson released his History, mm-hmm. Past, Present, and Future Book One album, mm-hmm. which was a two two CD album, a double album, where one disc was greatest hits Mm -hmm. and one disc was a whole new studio album. And that album was nominated for album of the year. And there was a bit of a kerfluffle around its nomination because people were like, well, what are you voting on? Are you voting on the fact that it's a bunch of greatest hits? Mm -hmm. Are you voting on Billie Jean and Beat It and effectively like half of the Thriller album again, which already won album of the year? Or are you voting on the new material, which at the time people believed was not like, you know, like as amazing as Thriller. Right. So people were like, well, um, I don't know. There's a lot of yeah. hawing around yeah. that. Well, so I feel like this is what the Recording Academy always has to deal with. the position of the folks <laughs> at the Recording Academy. This is why we have chart rules. This is why they have their rules. People and hate here us. we are. People hate us for our chart rules. <laughs> okay, so um, let's move on. Yes. Um, but, God, it'll be, well, let's, let's see how many of our 10 possible strong contenders can make it in there. TBD. All right, so now it's time for the chart stat of the week. So um, this is just sort of a small kind of fun aside thing. When we were doing the, the boogie 
research earlier, I uh, was interested in uh, sort of looking back at the 1970s uh, on the Hot 100 chart and wondering which artists had the most top 10 hits in the 1970s, Hmm. meaning they may have had a song that began its chart life in 1969 and continued into 1970, or they may have had a song that um, peaked uh, in December of 1970 in the top 10 and then continued its chart run in 19, uh, or I'm sorry, at the end of the 70s, 1979, and then uh, it continued on the charts in 1980. So basically, how, like, which artists had the most number of songs that were somewhere in the top 10 in the decade of the 1970s? So this is actually a quiz, Katie. Oh, man, here we are. So, Katie. Yes. Which artist do you think had the most top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart in the 1970s, meaning from January of 1970 through December of 1979? Okay, so this is just shot in the dark. I'm going to say the Bee Gees. You're close. They had 12. They had the third most back that decade. I feel good about that. Um, Elton John. Elton John had the most. Yeah. 16 (laughs) top 10 hits. Wow. Which... I know today that number seems small when someone like Drake can get 16 in a week, even though there's only even though there's only 10 positions in the top 10, <laughs> he can get 16 somehow. Somehow Drake figured it out. <laughs> um, Elton John, that was an enormous number. Of Do top you mean 10s. current pop star Elton John, who just had a top 10 in the Hot 100 it's last true. year? It's true. <laughs> um, so here were the artists, here were the acts that had the most top 10s in the 1970s: Elton John with 16, Paul McCartney with. 15. The Bee Gees with 12. Carpenters also had 12, as did Chicago and Stevie Wonder. And then rounding out the artists who had at least 10 top 10s in the 1970s, we had Barry Manilow and the Jacksons, a.k.a. the Jackson 5. Mm-hmm. Notice that there are no solo women in there? Yes, I did notice that. Yeah. But the Carpenters, Carpenters representing. Represented because <laughs> the, the vocalist there, for the most part, was Karen Carpenter, a woman. Uh, the, Car- the Carpenters, by the way, were a brother-sister duo of Karen and Richard Carpenter. Uh, the women, the two women that had the most top tens in the 1970s but didn't quite get to ten top tens mm-hmm. were Donna Summer and Olivia Newton-John. Each had nine top tens in wow. the 1970s. Okay. So um, there you have it, a little sort of 1970s throwback quiz Katie uh, 70s showdown. Since we're on a boogie theme today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we've reached the end of our sizable show. Our boogie oogie show. Um, so what song should we go out on? Oh, my gosh. Um, man, where do we even begin? I don't even know. We've talked about a lot of things. We have. Um, go out on one of your favorite top 10 hits from these artists from the 1970s. Oh, I like that idea. You, um, you you said the Bee Gees initially. Oh, I mean, I love Bee Gees. Uh, well, I've fa- the, my favorite Bee Gees song though is not a top ten. I don't think Inside Out, Inside and Out. Is, love yeah, you is that one of their top? No, I'm, I'm just gonna pick one of their songs that isn't a top ten. We'll check to see when it came out. Let's look. I think that was 1979. I think it was from. Yeah, but was it a top ten? Oh, you know, it absolutely was. Oh, I think it was. It was? Okay. I think it was number one. Love You Inside Out. I think it was 1979, 1980, 1979. So it definitely was 1979. Great. Um, well, let, yeah. Um, See, when, when did, why don't we look when did it actually come out as a single, though? Okay. I want to make sure it didn't actually hit number one in the okay. 1980s. Making sure, making sure. It says released April 1979. Okay, that's when the single came out? Yes. Then definitely it was, I think it was pretty sure it was a number one as well. 
1979 say, hit single. Did it say it went to number one? All right. Mm, it reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for one week. Things that I yes. should know. I'm pretty sure I knew. I was introduced to it from a Feist cover that I fell in love with, oh. and that I like backward fell into it. But that's how the kids these days find out about music, too. So here we are. Love you. <laughs> it's such a weird song. I love that song. Just the way it's structured. Love it. If, if you, if, again, go to YouTube. It's fun to go look at old... Um, uh, filmed recording sessions of the Bee Gees when they were um, recording songs that we all know now and how they made them in the studio without really the aid of a lot of computer technology today and how they made those records sound so cool, so modern, so advanced with just sort of state-of-the-art at the time, old-fashioned studio technology mm-hmm. and incredible musicianship. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going to go out and love you inside out. <laughs> See you guys next time. Bye. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.